I am very pleased and privileged to welcome Liv to come and speak to us this morning. Okay, good morning. Um, I'm back. <laughs> um, <laughs> Ian, great. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so like Paul said, my name's Liv. Um, for those of you that don't know me, I'm actually going to start off today just by introducing myself a bit. Um, I've been coming to King's for about five years or something now. So, um, um, and so maybe I thought it was time to probably introduce myself. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so my name's Liv. Obviously, my name is Olivia. That is my actual name. And my surname is, is this strange word name called Borkham, which no one can ever spell or say. So I spend my life pronouncing it. Okay, so, and people often ask me, like, where is my surname from? Um, I would like to say it's something like really exciting and, and, and interesting, but actually like, when I've looked at the origins, it's mainly, from, it's mainly British, right? So I looked at the, break, I looked at the breakdown of like, what Borkham um, means, and from one website, it broke it down and it said something like, uh, part of the word means enclosure, and part of the word is to do with a male goat. So, so my surname, according to this website, means male goat enclosure. So my first name, Olivia, obviously derives from the olive, olive tree. So my name means olive male goat enclosure. <laughs> so please don't call me that. <laughs> um, <laughs> You can, but I probably won't answer. So, um, but yeah, everyone knows me as Liv, so that's, so that's fine. Um, so I just wanted to just start off by sharing a bit about myself and how I came to be here in Loughborough. Um, you might not tell from my accent, but sometimes it does come out. Um, I am actually from the beautiful city that is Birmingham. Woo! Um, I really love my city. I think it's great. I still feel like an affiliation to it when I go back. I love the accent. It's just so lovely. And it's musical. Um, anyway, you might not think that. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so five years ago, uh, I had the, the, the privilege of coming to Loughborough University. Um, and I actually studied a degree in fine art. Um, so nothing to do with the job that I actually do now. Um, but creativity and art and all that kind of thing is a really big part of my life and my expression and just how I think and all this kind of thing. So this was me at my degree show when I graduated. Um, I spent most of my time during my degree painting pictures of Jesus. Um, they always tell you to do something controversial and like do something that no one will do. And usually that means people painting genitals, unfortunately. But I was like, well, I'm going to paint Jesus. And like no one paints him and stuff. So... Um, so I did, these, I did these pieces during my degree, which was, which was really great. Um, so, and just some more things as well. Um, uh, so, I, so I graduated like five years ago and chose to stay living in Loughborough um, because during that time I'd got involved with a charity 2020 um, and the project Love for Life as well. Um, and, and this is my family, so my mom and my younger brother and my dad, and that was at my dad's 60th birthday party. Um, the legend that is Roger Borkham, um, and uh, and yeah, and so and so and and then here I am today um, in Love Life and being part of the King Church family, which has just been a huge blessing to me. All of you, I think I just want to say thank you because you've 
you've all kind of in different ways seen, seen who I am um, and given me the platform to be able to express um, some of the things that are on my heart, like, like I did last time and, and today as well, so that's great. Um, what is the next slide? Okay. So this is my this is my theme for today. Okay. So I have a memory from when I was about 15 years old um, that um, I was in sat in the assembly hall in in my secondary school, um, and these Christian youth workers came in to talk to us about sex. I don't know if any of you have experienced this. Um, I literally remember like nothing from this talk. Uh, other than sniggering little boys talk and them talking about condoms, that was about it. Um, but what I came away with um, did, would turn out to be sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy of sorts. I thought to myself, uh, that's such a cool job, like I'd love to, that looks so fun and maybe I'd like to do that one day. In the meantime, uh, my, my lack of education in this department uh, became a bit of an issue. Um, and the lure of love and romance just took over my life for the next few years. Um, with, a rubbish, with a really rubbish kind of self-esteem um, and expert expertise in living out a double life and not 100% sure about Christianity, I came to Loughborough University. So then at 18 years old, uh, I decided to ditch the boyfriend in pursuit of needing, um, needing to love Jesus more. Um, and then I started to really, really understand what it meant to be in a relationship with Jesus rather than just attending church every week. The Holy Spirit really um, cleansed, cleansed my heart in such a tender and personal way. When I, when I asked God for forgiveness, I, I remember feeling like there was a big lump inside of me and I felt, I actually physically felt like God kind of reached in and took it out. So I felt like kind of em empty, um, but ready to be filled up again. So I was actually only upset for like three days, and then and then I was kind of feeling all right. Um, the rest of the healing itself has taken time in my life, uh, but it's God's just really helped me to forgive myself um, and to stop pretending anymore. A few years later, I found out about this project called Love for Life, which is run by 2020. Um, where is a place that girls can come and have space to talk about relationships and sex and understand the importance of feeling good about yourself, your value and your worth. And now here I am, um, I have the privilege of running Love for Life myself um, and now I'm the one in the classrooms and assemblies talking about sex with a load of sniggering teenagers. So I had no I had no idea that this was how my current career would would start off. My early relationship with with Jesus um, was was birthed out of His Spirit turning um, something that was that had trapped me and was a massive mess um, into something that could glorify Him and help others. Um, and I know we've been, we've been talking about that today, like about just already like how God can just take something that feels like such a mess and completely turn it around and give us a second chance. And he just gives countless second chances. I mean, what a great God. So this experience itself in my early teenage years really launched my life into an area that I just never thought I would be. Um, I thought I, I, my plan was to be an art teacher. Um, 
So that didn't happen. Um, so yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> um, and over time, I've built in confidence um, to speak out on platforms that I just never thought I would be at my age. I've been given the opportunity to directly and indirectly influence how we talk and teach relationships and sex education in the UK. Um, and I can use this passion that God's given me to impart something of his love and his favor for vulnerable and marginalized young people to help them all become who they were meant to be. I can, me, influence culture. I can be a culture maker. All of us have a story to tell. We've heard some of those great stories today about how God has changed us um, and changed something in our lives, but some of us that are still in progress right now. We've all got kind of like an individual blueprint um, that's, that's specifically designed for us to be able to discover it over time and explore it. And it's all dotted with nudgings and whisper of the voice of the Spirit to kind of like show us and point us where we need to go. Ephesians 3, 20 to 21 says, God can do anything, you know, far more than we could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. We participate in the greatest piece of partnership working, having love poured out onto us so that we can then pass it out into the world around us. He can use everything that we are, not just the nice together bits, but also the messy mistakes and the mundane, everyday happenings of our lives. An extract from N.T. Wright's sermon entitled Power, The Power of Heaven Let Loose on Earth. It says, the spirit will call the world to account through us. No, it doesn't say that. Here we go. There we go. <laughs> um, the Spirit will call the world to account through us, through our speaking, yes, but just as much through our common life, our witnessing life, our own struggles for holiness and unity, our refusal to obey the rulers when they tell us to disobey God, coupled with our peacemaking and health-giving lives which demonstrate that the gospel doesn't, just, doesn't make us cross-grained and awkward for the sake of it, but rather community builders, joy bringers, culture makers, audio, um, sorry, <laughs> uh, home makers, and wisdom bringers. Okay, it's a bit of audience participation time. Woohoo! That's the, my least favorite sentence anyone ever says. Um, so, um, when you think about the culture of our society today, what do you think of? So what words come to mind? So I would like you to just spend a couple, like, maybe a minute talking with the people next to you, and then I'm going to ask for some feedback, okay? So here's a question again. What do you think about the culture of society today? Go. Okay, you want to bring your little chats to a close. Cool. So, any feedback or ideas or thoughts, please? Anyone at all? Self-centered, okay, yep. 
polarized. What do you mean by that, Maria? Okay, yeah. So a platform to uh, ex express a wider range of views, um, which is, could be a good thing or a bad thing. Any, any other thoughts? Consumeristic, okay. Media-led, okay. So kind of been dictated by celebrity culture, all right, yep. Any other thoughts? Puzzled, muddled, close, close enough. <laughs> muddled, okay. What do, you, what do you mean by that, Marina? Wait, 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 wait. Just very confused. They don't know what to make of what they're hearing. Um, because they've so many options, but nothing sort of absolute. It's Holly, were you going to say something? Okay. The fact that <laughs> I think people are very confused, but they're also, they feel like they need to be certain in their confusion. So there's not a lot of truth, there's just a lot of opinion, but everyone's opinion has to count. Um, so then there's no leadership. So I think it just brings a lot of confusion. Okay, great. That's really good reflections, everyone. Well done, top marks. <coughs> okay, we're going to come back to we'll come back to some of those words definitely. But I think I think it's kind of one of those things where m maybe our view is quite negative um, of the world around us. Um, but I think it's important to remember that in a way we're also part of that culture um, and we're not not immune to it. Um, so let's carry on. So depending on the culture that someone is brought up in, will have a huge influence over the outworkings of their lives. Yes, Logan. <laughs> He's got another idea about culture. <laughs> he wanted a spoon. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, ha so depending on what the culture someone's been brought up in will have a huge influence over the outworkings of someone's lives. So their choices, um, who they choose to spend time with, for example. It could be that it's their family culture, their background, their ethnicity. A culture can exist because of the country someone's from, um, so that you might have different customs or a different set of moral values that someone believes to be true. The culture in developed countries seems to be more inward focused, as we've already said, whilst developing countries, it seems to be more community based and outward. The dominant feature of Western culture is very much a kind of me culture. Here's a grumpy cat. <coughs> I can't go, I can't go without putting a meme on, it's always. Always a winner. Um, <laughs> so is this me culture, as Grumpy Cat is, is representing, um, a type of mindset that we're all kind of out for number one, uh, that kind of protects itself, it defends itself, and all of its belongings. Have you ever heard people say, as long as it makes me happy, that's all that matters? I'm not meaning to have a pop at any of this, um, but it's easy to understand how that can happen from when a young age, there's so much pressure for young people to achieve certain grades, um, and that's where a lot of their worth comes from. And then there's pressure to go to of what university to go to, 
Um, then how valuable career, you know, how valuable is your career, uh, how much you earn, and then the pressure to buy a house in time. Um, and, and then everyone's fighting to live in London where, you know, no one can afford to pay the rent anyway. So it's just this like constant kind of swirl. Um, and so much, of our, so much of people's value in our culture ends up being placed in people's possessions um, and their status or their family arrangement. The, um, the more you have, uh, the more successful and together you are deemed, I suppose. So naturally, if this, is the, if this is the rat race, no wonder we are more self-absorbed and invested in the things that directly benefit ourselves. My colleague and I uh, were talking about this in the car the other day and the concept of how can, we create, um, how can we create a culture of community in the UK. He shared with me about his Nigerian heritage um, family and how his mom always cooks loads and loads and loads of food like every day with the anticipation that people are going to come around. Um, so literally vats of jollof rice, which... I want to be invited to this house. So, um, and she she sends guests away with like mountains of food and like loads of loads of extra things. And she's insistent that guests stay um, stay to eat and um, stay to eat, and they stay for as long as they want, all that kind of thing. So, in comparison to the large proportion of our white British culture, uh, having a friend turn up unannounced at our home could be a huge inconvenience. Uh, and so out of the norm that and it can potentially make us feel very uncomfortable. Now, don't get me wrong, I love the UK, it's great, and we have a super mixed culture um, that we have here, it's really great. Um, but it's just it's so easy to go along with this rat race um, in our country uh, that the next thing we know, our lives look no different to the people around us who don't know or follow Jesus. And if that's the case, I think we really missed the point. Um, our, and I'd, looking, at, looking at our culture like right now, our society could definitely benefit from a bit of cohesiveness, community, and sharing. Don't you agree? So, dream with me of a British culture where Jesus' heart is evident in the way that people treat each other, the decisions that are made, and that everyone is welcome and included. So let's look at Romans 12, 1 to 2. So I am reading from the Message Bible, by the way, in case you haven't realized already. So uh, place your life before God. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God has done for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted with your culture that you fit into everything without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants for you and quickly respond to it. Unlike culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I think when we, when we stand on the outside looking in on today's culture, 
Um, as we discussed like kind of earlier, I think it, it could and it can bring a sense of despair and feeling of like overwhelming because there's so much polarization, there's so much disparity between the views of Jesus and then everyone else. However, I think if we, if we continue to like remain separate um, for fear of becoming worldly, then we risk just making judgments on it and just standing afar and pointing out what's wrong and what we disagree with without actually doing anything about it. Um, and as a result, I think we just continue to be all that society says Christians and the church is, which is judgmental and irrelevant and naive. When we choose to get involved with our culture today, to really try and understand how people tick, what's working and what's not working, then when it's then we're loaded with the love and compassion that Jesus teaches us to have in our hearts and mind. We can begin to shape and influence from an internal perspective. So we're more invested, we're more committed to see a change, and we're completely relevant then. As the Romans passage says, God develops a maturity in us that can support us when we're navigating those more tricky areas where we disagree with people, um, instead of getting defensive and argumentative about it. <coughs> before uh, before I came uh, became involved with the work that Love for Life does, um, and and I, I also started. The reason why I came to Kings was actually because I started running the Warwick Way Children's Project that we did, that we used to do on Warwick Way, obviously. Um, <laughs> and I thought, hey, I better come to the church because they're paying me. So um, anyway, yeah. So that was one of my other jobs. Um, I, had no, I had just had no idea of the extent of the damage that broken relationships and the misalignment and misuse of sex had over people's lives. I think my, my view was only based on my own personal experiences and what I'd picked up from church already, which, let's face it, was not very helpful in the real world, in my own experience. In the years since then, I've really, really been hit in the face with a load of underlying prejudice that I've had old school values and frankly just incorrect opinions that I've been carrying, um, which, is, which is great that God's <laughs> unearthed those things, definitely. Um, in order then to, to correct these kind of preconceived ideas, uh, I've had to like really trek into the, into the depths of understanding all sorts of relationships and aiming to learn about like different sexual practices, sexual health, information, and generally learning stuff that's pretty uncomfortable. Um, but knowing these things helps make me more relevant, and it makes me more useful for young people, and therefore better at my job. I would so much rather that young people learn correct information from me and my team rather than the internet. <laughs> I think I'm just sh like sharing this example with you. So, so this is this is obviously my opinion and where I'm coming from. But I think adversely, if we if if people, if Christian practitioners in this particular field are choosing to stay out of culture, and I have seen this. So many like many Christian practitioners in this field um, will 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 refuse or avoid answering difficult or uncomfortable questions that young people, you know, pose at them because they're 
not Christian, maybe, and instead are insistent on using RSE, like relationships and sex education settings for an evangelistic exercise instead. Um, and I question just how useful this tactic is for young people because I think it's Christians going in with their set agenda rather than young people being able to dictate the conversation and get the learning that they need. <coughs> I think every day I learn more about um, uh, our ever -changing what our ever-changing culture is saying to young people about relationships and sex. But by engaging with it and learning stuff that really pushes the boundaries of my once neat little Christian life and exploring the root issues of taboos can help me better support young people. But this doesn't come at the sacrifice of the moral integrity that Jesus has taught me. And we can still maintain a high level of sexual morality or just morality in general and authority whilst getting stuck into what's going on around us. Our culture has changed. Our favorite picture. <laughs> um, and we, for those of you that haven't seen this picture before, what country is it in? Honduras. So this is a, a bridge that was built in Honduras, which, which when they built it, it was over the river. So, and if you know anything geography related about rivers, that they, they move basically and and that's happened. So we use this picture. We had this originally shown to us on a leadership weekend quite a while ago. Um, basically just saying that like, the bridge is kind of like the church now. Society has moved, but we're still kind of sort of where we were before. And we need to, we need to, we keep talking about it basically, but we are, we're getting there, we're getting there. <laughs> So yes, our culture has changed, and it's still changing, but we need to be quick to keep up with it. Uh, my dad told me um, about this organization that he'd recently got involved with called Heart Edge, so I'd recommend you to look it up. Um, he, he recently went to a talk by them, and they were speaking about the kind of dramatic shift that's happened and taken place um, of the, like, the place of the church in society um, compared to like how it is now in present day culture. He, my dad told me about that the, the speaker said that back in the day, the, back in the day, um, the church was a hub for social care and justice needs. Um, it was the place to go to for the homeless, for the sick, for the people, for like families in need, etc. Um, and people knew that's where you went to go and get help. Um, and the church were like on it, like they were providing everything. Then in, in 1942, the welfare state was introduced by the government to provide support and care for everyone. So e.g. like the introduction, introduction of the NHS. And also in 1948, there was the Children's Act. So... So the church kind of like looked at that and were like, oh great, all these needs are being fulfilled for our, our, our culture and our society. The government are, are doing a great job, cool. So, so we, can take a, we can take a step back then. And basically from then, the church took a back seat in social justice movements and began to focus more on an internal head knowledge sort of style, which is not a bad thing. But we now find ourselves uh, in a place like now where it's actually really hard to get out of that mindset. 
uh, whilst the rest of society relies on the government and other charity supports, making the church feel rather ob obsolete in many ways. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure whether, like, whether a, a passerby uh, who needed help would necessarily walk into a church building or meeting anymore. However, instead of harping back to the good old days, uh, the church community needs to change its mindsets um, and adapt to fulfill the needs of the community and our country. Um, over the past few years, I don't know if you've, if you've noticed, um, there's been more and more talk about mental health issues, about suicide, about sexual abuse or assault, about LGBTQ issues, and also about loneliness. All real buzzwords in our media and our society at the moment. Um, in the government, we now actually have a minister for suicide prevention um, because the, our country's stats have rocketed so much. Campaigns like Me Too have exploded, bringing thousands of women forward, sharing their stories of sexual abuse or assault or harassment. And we have a situation where our teenagers are said to be some of the loneliest, like, I don't know if that's in, some of, in comparison to other countries, I can't remember, um, and, and also our elderly community is as well. But our Western, our Western culture is increasingly opening up to issues of injustice and campaigning for inclusivity and support for all. More and more as a nation, particularly us millennials, so people my age, on social media are talking more and more about equality, self-acceptance, body positivity, and women's rights. When, um, sorry, I've made myself <laughs> Um, when we, I think when we choose to get um, involved in these topics that our friends and our colleagues are talking about, we, we have an opportunity to be bringing Jesus and bringing his spirit's perspective. So we show them that, that all issues that affect people are cared for by Christians um, and we're joining in and are, even if we don't always agree, we're, we're interested in what they care about. Um, I was thinking about an example of, so I suppose in university culture, it's very much about getting as drunk as you possibly can, um, like every day of the week. And I think <laughs> when I started university, freshers was bitterly disappointing for me because coming from a nice little church background, they were like, yeah, so in the first week, we like, we like do dress up, we like have dress up themes and we play games and stuff. And I was like, yay, games! <laughs> coming from a little, you know, Christian church world where games are actually fun. But in, um, in, in university terms, games means let's get really drunk. Um, and so, you know, what do you, what do, you do if that's not if that's not what you want to do. Um, so I think in my, in my experience, like I actually just don't find that thing, enjoy, that kind of thing enjoyable like at all. So I'm kind of stubborn, stubborn enough to be able to be like, no, I'm not gonna do it. So I actually chose to just completely like exclude myself from, from those things and went and did some other, went and did other things instead. 
And it was the same when I was at school as well. Like, I never went to any of the parties. I never got invited because I was, like, the Christian who was like, no, getting drunk is wrong, you know, like this kind of thing. And, like, being really weird about it. Um, <laughs> so, and, you know, never got invited to these things. Um, but I know, like, some really good examples of, like, my of, of friends at, at uni who still, they just still maintained their sense of, like, integrity and 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 uh, faithfulness to God in that they didn't like they they went to the parties they went to the they went to the like freshers events and all these kind of things but they just chose not to get drunk or they might have had a bit of a drink but they just they just didn't do that but actually they saw the value in in, in being there and being in that culture but but not being completely influenced and taken up by it I think when we get when we get involved in different causes and different and different things, um, it doesn't have to be something that's a separate activity from church. It can be your area of ministry, um, and when we choose uh, to be more open and engaged and, and interested in issues that are happening right now, um, and we and we join in with them, I think we can shape the future outlook for for our generation's culture. Additionally. Additionally, um, when a cause or an interest area we're passionate about um, is when it's when it's something that we are passionate about, um, then it comes it comes from a place of authenticity and and genuineness, rather than a set agenda aiming for conversion. So any of you that were like kind of here last week and listening to Giles's talk, he kind of said about. You know, like they had, they did this home church movement, and and like loads of people came every week and all that kind of thing. But he wasn't really sure if anyone was saved or like you know all that kind of thing. But the but the thing is, is people had community. People felt like they belonged. People felt like they valued, were valued. And and sometimes I just think that's not less. Like you know, that's still really that's still really really important. And so we shouldn't be put off doing things just because we're, we're feeling a bit nervous about whether we're going to bring someone to know Jesus or not. I think we, st- we can still do a lot to make that person feel seen, to make them feel like they're something. Um, people really, I think just people really buy into genuineness as well. Um, they, I think you can tell whether someone really cares or not quite quickly. Um, and from this point of friendship and relationship and shared passion, it's then easier to share with them about Jesus, who really motivates us for why we're part of that cause in the first place. I think there is sometimes there's just great power in Christians being involved in areas where stereotypically Christians are not always seen, really shaking up the status quo. Christians being involved in non-Christian charities or organizations, perhaps. Um, Christians leading top businesses. Christian men being involved in women's rights causes. Yes. (laughs) I watched a program recently where they had the, the, the march about the celebrating 100 years of women's votes. And it was just thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of women which is great, but where are all the men, you know? Like, come on. So, <laughs> um, we've got to be in our culture to make it. 
So I wanted to show you a, a video clip of a guy called um, a speaker who did a TED talk called Simon Sinek. Um, so maybe you, if you if you're interested, have a look at it when you get home. Um, he he basically one of his like things is talking about the why and how businesses are more successful. So he uses the he uses the example of Apple. Um, and he says businesses and leaders are more successful when they're sure of the why, like of why they're doing something. Um, and then he does like the circle example where the why is in the middle and then you have the how you do that and the what. So most of the time when people are trying to kind of talk about something, they would, talk, they would start from the what. So, so he said like if Apple sells things, if Apple were to sell things like starting from the what, they'll be like, we sell really great computers. And how do we do that? We use amazing processes and processing things, blah, 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 blah. Do you want to buy one? And you probably wouldn't be like that interested, right? But then he uses the example then of they start off with the why, and they're talking about why. We really care about um, uh, affecting change and changing the status quo. How do we do that? We do something else, blah, 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 blah. And then it's like, what? We just happen to make really great laptops or something. So basically it's like talking about that sort of like understanding why we do things. And he says, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. Now obviously like um, we're not trying to sell anything at church. We're not trying to sell Jesus. Um, he can he can do that himself. Um, but um, it's, ju it's just something that's important, and it's something that was, was brought back to the 2020 team by one of our old managers, thinking about, you know, I think, you know, we've had a, we've had a really tough year as a charity, tough couple of years, all that kind of thing. And I think it's so easy then to just get really wrapped up in the sort of like what and how. So like kind of what are we doing every day, all this kind of thing, blah, blah, blah. And I think if, you get, if you're just getting so caught up in that, then you sort of like forget why you're doing it. And then I think it's that, like think of if you're caught up in the what and how you become more bitter and maybe more resentful about why you're about about what you're doing because you've forgotten why um so in a in a couple like uh, oh no this week on friday i'm going to be delivering some internal safeguarding training at work and my my tactic is to start off with the why um i think because there's a lot of processes involved and paperwork and all this kind of thing that comes with safeguarding i think people get really like oh, i don't want to do it kind of thing but actually the the why of why you're doing safeguarding is because you're bringing justice for young people you know you are protecting them you're keeping them safe you're advocating on their behalf and that's something to really get excited about i think and that's something to get passionate about and so hopefully I'll be able to revive this kind of why sense, and then it's going to result in a in a better kind of processes and outworking for 2020 staff. This also got me thinking about our discipleship making communities, so our DMCs, <laughs> um, and and the <laughs> the why of those has got to be the foundation. Um, so I was thinking about the, the Fantastic Spirit Cafe and about what they do, and I think what and how they do it is great, but the why is the driver. So instead of disengaging from a community, um, from community members who are into the occult or fortune telling or other spiritual like spirituality, because it's against Christianity, they've chosen to get involved with a heart drive to speak God's truth 
love and values um, over people's lives that could affect the innermost part of their, of their being forever. And so they no longer feel isolated um, or continue searching for meaning anymore, but instead find that meaning in Jesus. Now that's a why, yes? And also like from my DMC as well, um, my why is that I don't want people to feel lonely and I, and I want people to feel like they belong somewhere. My how has been, I've been meeting, we've been meeting weekly, well, kind of, um, and what we do is we eat food. Um, but at the moment, that's kind of changing, but my why remains the same. I'm just not sure what my what and how looks like at the moment. We need to be able to ask ourselves why we do what we do. When we think about shifting or changing culture, whether that be in church, politics, communities, workplaces, schools, why are we doing it and where is it coming from? Are we just doing things because it's the way we've always done it? Are we just keeping something going because we think we should? Are we having our desired impact in our communities and wider? Churches, we enlarge our tent pegs. We're looking to make more space in our lives to invite the Spirit to show us what he wants us to do. Maybe to support um, a new person or find a newfound cause to get involved with. Um, we can be involved in places and causes we haven't been before um, and be a bigger presence and voice advocating for our community's needs. By knowing why, why, we, uh, blah, 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 by knowing why we're doing something can help us motivate, motivate us to push through barriers um, and makes, it makes things feel less of a chore and can keep us focused on the goal ahead. So, oh, oh no, not yet. Um, Jesus clearly knew his why um, and dramatically affected culture and the face of history. Uh, and I often think about how Jesus made people feel and he made everyone feel seen. Um, he, they felt valued, understood, loved, empowered, but also challenged. He, um, people listened to him, his authority and his significance. Um, he said things that had great, in, great uh, insight into people's lives and rephrasing and helping them to unlearn religious things that they'd been taught before. Um, Jesus challenged and disagreed with people at the same time, but at the same time as he did that, he drew people close and he never isolated himself or other people. Yes, he was unpopular with some, but only those that were spreading lies and living under oppressive religious laws and rules. Everything he did was effective. It had a point. It was flexible and adaptable to the people he encountered each day. We are not Jesus, so our ideas and our initiatives might not always work or they might not take off, but that's okay. At least we tried. Remember, we're participating in a partnership um, with whom he can use every mistake and every dead duck, so nothing is a waste. We too can participate in current and controversial topics um, without getting weird or awkward or dismissive um, and keep our sense of authority um, and his heart of kindness and maintaining the dignity of others, even when we disagree with them. We are called and commissioned to be blessing machines. Wherever we go, whatever we're doing, God's spirit, his essence within us, can, can start a ripple effect in our communities and our culture. 
heard a song yesterday that phrased it as moving, with the, moving to the rhythm of Jesus' heart. If faith without deeds is dead, then we do not want a dead faith. A faith that is living and thriving cannot help but show itself. So, why be a culture maker? Because people who follow Jesus are not meant to sit on the sidelines. How? We've got to be involved in our culture in order to make it. And what is to be confirmed? So I want to encourage you all that um, together we can do this. We've got this. Uh, the churches and Christians and our message is a powerful force for change. I don't feel like we're doing enough, and I want us to do more. And so Kings, we're a great bunch of people, um, and we've got to, let's get thinking about it. Um, I was going to show you another YouTube, <laughs> another YouTube video, but YouTube's not working. When I was writing this, I had the Rocky Balboa theme song in my head, so you know, you know this. Anyway, and I found this great YouTube video of a little skinny guy doing push-ups to it. Um, but I, <laughs> I wanted to share that just because, you know, maybe ha you know, listen to that theme tune, have that in your head, like, and 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 almost like see it as um, your kind of, you know mission song like i don't know like sounds silly but like you know that we might feel weak we might not feel like we can do it but we can um and so let's go for it okay thanks 